are we here in this time? This place? What are we made for? Our lives have purpose. God has a calling for each one of us. General. Specific. In our families, our workplaces, our church, our city, our country, our world. Clarity in our calling. Purpose in our present. Our great God is offering us something beautiful. Well, hey, we're so glad you're here today. It's great to, to join you in worship and now to, to open up God's word and to, and to hear him speak to us uh, about calling. And maybe you're here for the first time or maybe you've been tracking with us either online or in person, but we're in the middle of a series called Calling. We're, we're unpacking this huge idea in the Bible that every one of us is called. No matter who we are, how old we are, how young we are, no matter where we're at in life, we are called. We are called first and foremost to a person, to Jesus, to, to live our lives with him, to have a relationship with him, to make our home in him, and to walk with him through every day, every moment of the week. First and foremost, we are called to a person. This is our primary and, and most important calling. And then out of that, as we've been talking about in this series, we are called to specific things like the church, the family that we're born into, that these things are things we're called to, things we're called to participate in and bring life to, all working together to contribute to the vision that God has for this world and for his kingdom to break in and invade every corner of it. And so today, we're going to continue our progression in this series from our uh, first and primary calling through church, through family, and now to work. Because in the same way that we are called to Jesus, the church, and family, we are called to work. Now, for some of us, we hear that, and that might be surprising. I mean, we've never made the connection between work and calling before. For us, they inhabit two different worlds. Uh, calling lives in one world, and work lives in another, and so we might hear that we are called to work, and that might be surprising to us. It might be new information to us. But others of us, we might hear that about work, and it might be a source of sadness, maybe even stress. We, we hear the word work, and we are reminded of the job we don't have, the job we lost, or the job that we dream about and long for and yearn for, but we don't have. And still, for others of us, work is something that's in our rearview mirror. Uh, you're retired, you haven't worked in years, and so you're here and you're wondering, what can I contribute to this world, to society, to the kingdom of God? Maybe you're invested and you're serving, but work is in your rearview mirror. Or maybe it's in the, the front of your life. Maybe it's out there in the future. You haven't finished school yet. You're, you're waiting until you graduate. That work is something that's out there. It's not here and now. It's future. See, wherever you land when it comes to this topic of work, the same reality applies to every single one of us. We are called to work. We are called to work. I remember my first job. I mean, I played professional hockey, and so for me, that was a job. It was my profession, but really, it wasn't anything that I saw of as a real job. It was fun to get up and go play and practice and live the life of a professional athlete, but... 
I always remember my first job. It was working at a marketing and advertising agency and it sounded really exciting when I went to the interview and I was excited to, to jump in and to start working and to make some money and to, to, to move beyond this athletic life that I'd lived for so many years. And so let me just give you a snapshot of what this job was like. It was horrible. First off, I had to wear a suit. I'm a very casual guy and it wasn't so much that I had to wear a suit, it was that I had to wear a suit in 100 degree weather because what we would have to do is they would drop us off on the side of the street and then we would have this product that we'd have to go into businesses and try and sell this product to these people. And the other thing is that we had to work on commission and so we only got money, we only got paid if we sold something. And I'm, I'm a terrible uh, salesperson and so there was many, many days where I would work you know, eight hours, nine hours, and come home with nothing to show for it, zero dollars. All I did was spend the day in 40 degree weather wearing a suit, sweating, and I would come home and I'd be discouraged and disheartened and I'd feel frustrated and even angry at times. And, and this job shaped so much of my perspective and view of work was and is and, and, and even that it matters. And so I came out of that job with this perception about work and the problem was is that that perspective, that perception wasn't even close to God's perspective of work. And maybe that's your experience. Um, and that's why today matters so much because our perspective of work shapes our relationship to work. And that followers of Jesus, God's people, we need to let God speak into our lives and shape our perspective and our view of work because we are called to work. This has been true from, from the very beginning. We see this in the first book of the Bible called Genesis. In Genesis 1, we see that there's a God who created the world and everything in it. And that this God creates and he calls humans to work. We see this in Genesis chapter 2. That's where we see the story of God and humanity begin to unfold. And there, God, God comes to the first creation of humans. And this is what Genesis tells us happens. It says, then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east. And there he put the man whom he had formed. And so the story of God and humans begins with God personally and intimately forming the first humans. And then it continues with him breathing life into them, making them alive with his very own breath. And so what we see is that this God, the God we worship, the God we follow, isn't just a transcendent, all-powerful creator who can speak into existent light and, and sun and moon and stars and trees and animals, that he's not just this kind of God. He's also an intensely personal God who shapes humanity with his own hands and breathes his very own breath into them. This is how our story with God begins. And with work, it begins here too, with this transcendent, all-powerful, personal God shaping us. But then look at what happens next. Look at what God does next. He puts the first human in a garden, and what happens? Genesis 2.15 says, Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to care for it. Of all the things God could have done after creating humans, what does he do? He plants a garden. He puts the first humans in the garden to work it. 
Crazy, right? I mean, of all the things God could have done in that moment, he chooses to put humans into a place to work. There are so many other things that God could have done. I mean, he could have given them time to recover. I mean, they had a a big first day. I mean, their day started as dust and it ended as a living creature. And in between all of that, God is shaping them with his own hands. He's shaping the eyes and the feet and the mouth and the bodies and he's putting it all together. I mean, that's a big first day. You think that God might want to give them some time to rest, to kind of recover, but God doesn't do that. Rest is going to come later, but the first thing that God does is God puts humans to work, to work the soil, to plant, to seed, to water, to harvest, to grow, to care for the garden. He puts them to work. Now this is significant because it means that work is an essential part of what it means to be human, that work is not just some fringe thing, it's not something that is is separate or not integrated into who we are as human beings, it's not just something that we do. It's part of who we are and who we are to be in this world. And so work is essential. And at the very beginning of our story as humans, as people on this planet, but more than that, what we see here is that work is God-shaped. From start to finish, work is God-shaped. I mean, just look at the progression in Genesis 2 is that God forms us and then he puts his breath into us and then he puts us in a place that he's prepared for us And notice that he's with us in that place. That God is with the first humans in the work. He's present. There's no division. There's no separation. It's not like God puts them there and then disconnects from them. God is there with them in their work. And so Genesis paints this picture of a God who is behind it all and in it all when it comes to our work. And what's more, I mean, we can keep going. It's just just amazing is that the Hebrew word for work, abad, can be translated service and worship. And so here we see such a deep and beautiful meaning start to emerge about our work is that it's God-shaped, but that also work is service. It's service to God, to other image bearers of God, to people, to the world. But work is also worship. So going to work is an act of worship to the God who made you. It's giving energy and devotion and attention to seeing work as something more than that you go to or something that you do to get paid is that work is God-shaped, work is worship, work is service. And so right from day one, here is God's intention for work is that work is something we do for God and with God as an act of service and worship to him and to creation. This was God's idea, his intention from the very beginning. And this idea of work is deep and beautiful and purposeful. And and this vision of work comes along and it challenges the common perceptions that we have, maybe consciously or unconsciously, about work, what it is and what it's for and how we're meant to be and live within it. See, I know it has for me. See, most of my view of work has been shaped by something or someone other than God and what he has to say about work. And the result is that I've had a very narrow view of what work is, that work is a place I go to. It's something that I do to get money so I can go do something else. And this is not wrong. It's just a smaller vision than the vision that God has for work. And I think we need to lean into this a little bit because our perspective and our view of work will impact our relationship with work. It will impact our experience of it, how we see it, how we bring ourselves and what we do to our work. And so just think about some of the different ways and views that we have when it comes to work. We might hold these consciously or unconsciously, but they're there. 
And so we want to bring them out into the open. We want to talk about them and, and unpack them. Like, work is something that we just do. That's just one part of our lives. It's a place we go to spend eight hours a day, five days a week, that it lacks any great significance or connection to the kingdom that God is building on earth. For some of us, that's all work is. It's just something we do. It's just one little sliver of our life during the week. Or maybe for you, the perception that you carry is that work is a means to an end, that we work or you work so you can go do something else. If the goal of work is to make as much money as possible so you can get off work and go do the things that you actually love and are passionate about. And so maybe your motto when it comes to work is, I'm going to work for the weekend. And so maybe work is just something you do. Maybe it's a means to an end. Or maybe work is for you, you're looking to work to give you what only God can give you to give you your identity, that you are what you do, that what you do defines you, it shapes your, your vision of self, gives you your identity, or maybe it gives you your significance, that the job we have is, is the source of our value and worth, and that we are significant only if we're tied to work and a certain kind of work and the way we work and the title we have. We're looking for significance. Or maybe we're asking our work to fulfill us, to satisfy the deepest longings we have, and we're asking it to give us what only God can give us. And these are some of the common perceptions, but I think the most troublesome, the most uh, influential in our life is that work is something that's disconnected from God and his kingdom. This thinking is deeply rooted in culture. It's even deeply rooted in the church, and it's this idea that work inhabits one part of my life, and then God and spiritual things inhabit another. It's a way of compartmentalizing our lives into the sacred and the secular, and the two don't interact in any way, shape, or form. And this thinking is widespread and strong and potentially the most harmful view of work out there. And here's why, because it creates a division that God never intended, and it effectively removes God from the majority of our life, which is spent working. And this thinking has years and years of traction behind it, and it goes like this, is that some things are sacred and spiritual and matter to God, while other things are physical, and therefore they don't matter as much to God. And so if you want to do something that really matters, then it has to be something spiritual, like prayer. Being a missionary or a pastor, working in a nonprofit, going to a community group, serving, reading the Bible, all good things, all things we should be doing as apprentices to Jesus. But that doesn't mean Jesus is only involved in these things and that he doesn't want to be involved in something like your work. He does. And he's meant to because all of life matters to him. All of life is one long immersion in the spiritual rule and reign of God. And so Jesus doesn't reserve his involvement to two hours on a Sunday and then unplugs himself from the other 166 hours of your week. He wants to be involved in every single hour, the full 168 hours that we all have. And so it's not just Jesus that unplugs from us, it's us who unplug from Jesus. This is not the way of Jesus. This is not what Jesus envisioned, what God envisioned in the garden when he talked about work. See, the way of Jesus is 24-7. It's lived in the 168 hours each week that we all have. It's at home, at work, when we're doing errands, when we're cooking, when we're cleaning, when we're picking our kids up from school, when we're at our job. And maybe that's why when it comes to work, you feel like the writer in Ecclesiastes who's expressing this this angst with work and, and the meaninglessness of it all. He says this, he says, so I hated life. 
because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. All of it is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. I hated all the things I had toiled for under the sun because I must leave them to the one who comes after me. And who knows whether that person will be wise or foolish, yet they will have control, control over all the fruit of my toil into which I have poured my effort and skill under the sun. This too is meaningless. And then he begins to talk about what that did to him, this sense of meaningless, this toil, this disconnection from a greater purpose. He says in verse 20, so my heart began to despair over all my toilsome labor, labor under the sun. And then he goes on and asks the question in verse 22, what do people get for all the toil and anxious striving with which they labor under the sun? All their days, their work is grief and pain. Even at night, their minds do not rest. This too is meaningless. Work without God is not the work God has in mind for us. And we see that, we sense that angst, and maybe we connect with the writer of Ecclesiastes that we feel that. Are you frustrated with work? Do you ever wonder if the things you do matter in the grand scheme of things? Do you sense this gap between God's vision of work and your reality at work? If you feel that, that way, it's because we were made for a different vision of work. We're called to a different way of working in this world, and the Bible comes along and presents this beautiful and compelling and grand vision for work. And we see that in Genesis 2 start to be unfolded, but more so in Genesis 1, because there the vision is even grander than the one we've already seen. And we pick up that vision in chapter 1, verse 26 of Genesis, where it says this, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And so God has already created light and heaven and earth, plants and trees and stars, the sun, the moon, the animals, and then his vision for work explodes off the page and it is a massive vision for work. Here's God's vision, that when it comes to work, we are called to a royal identity, a grand purpose, and a unique vocation. A royal identity, a grand purpose, and a unique vocation. First, a royal identity. We see this begin to unfold in verse 26 of chapter 1, where God makes humans in his image. Now, in the ancient world, the king was called the image of God and was seen as God's representative, acting on God's behalf, ruling in his place. And so Genesis takes this idea and says to be made in God's image means that every human being on this planet is a visible, visible representation of an invisible God. That every human being has the capacity to think and act and be like God. And that every human being has a royal identity. That you and I and every person living and alive to this day are kings and queens, the creator's representatives on earth. We are put on earth to make visible the invisible God, to show the world what he is like in the way we think, in the way we act, in what we say, and what we do. We have a royal identity. 
And if we miss this, if we look somewhere else for our identity, everything else starts to get affected. So one of my college roommates, uh, his name was JT, um, and he was one of my best friends in college. We lived together for three years. Uh, we played on the same hockey team in our uh, college team, and, and we just did so much of life together. And I remember there, uh, one year, I think it was our second year, uh, we started to have this problem every time our team went to the airport and we had to check in. And for some reason, JT kept getting randomly screened. I don't know why, but it was like every single time. That's no exaggeration. Every single time we went to the airport and our team checked in, JT was randomly screened and he would always lag far behind everyone else. And, and because he'd have to go through extra screening, extra looking at his baggage, extra showing identification, all these things. And, and it was tiresome and, and he would get frustrated because all the rest of us would be checked in, gone through security and eating our breakfast and JT would still be at check-in for some reason. We could never figure that out. And so finally, uh, our coaches and our team managers said, what's going on? And we come to find out that uh, JT's name was red flagged in the TSA system because there was an Australian serial killer with the exact same name. And so any single person on the entire planet who had the same name as JT would get red flagged and screened. And so every trip to the airport was affected by this wrong identity being ascribed to JT. And so we laugh at it now, but his struggle day in and day out when he went to the airport was massive, all because of a misascribed identity. And for us, in an even more eternal and, and grievous way, when we forget what the most important person in the universe says about us, it affects us, our life, our work, our perception of self, how we go about the things that we're called to do. And so our starting point when we talk about our calling to work is that we have a royal identity. That is who God says we are. We were created and put on earth as kings and queens to represent God to the world and show it what he is like. And with this royal identity comes a grand purpose. And this grand purpose is rooted in creation. We see it continue to unfold in verses 26 to 28 is that we have been called to have dominion. That's royalty language. That as kings and queens, God has created this world and we are to rule this world with him as his representatives on it. We are called to be fruitful and multiply, to get married, to have children, which gives great value and importance to having kids, to unfolding children, to make them into people who walk with Jesus and partner with God, what he wants to do in their life. But there is great value in raising a family. It's at the heart of God's vision for work in this world. And so God says, be fruitful, get married, raise a family, multiply. He wants to see image bearers spread over the entire world. And he says he wants us to subdue it. This is word of creation, creating a civilization, partnering with God to, to create culture, to, to make babies and hospitals and schools and churches and form governments societal structures that create a world where, where image bearers of God have a place to thrive and flourish in and enjoy the presence and beauty of their creator God. And put it all together, this is God saying to humans, go and make a world. Join me in my creation project to take this world somewhere. Harness the raw potential of this world. Take the earth and, and make great art and great technology and use it for de redemptive purposes. Do things that make a world for us to flourish. God is calling us to partner with him to take the world somewhere. 
And he creates us and he invites us into this work, into this grand purpose. And so this grand purpose is rooted in creation, but it is also renewed in the Great Commission. And so our original pre-Jesus calling is to rule over the earth and join God in creating a world. But then Jesus comes along and in his life, death, and resurrection, everything changes We are called into a new calling in light of Jesus' work to go and make disciples, to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, to teach people to obey all that Jesus has commanded us. And so our new calling in light of Jesus' work is to help people come into relationship with God so they can know him and join him in his work that he has started in the beginning and now is inviting us into and we're building towards his future, that this is the greatest cause the world has ever seen and we are being invited into it to be on mission to see lost people found, to see dead people come alive, to see people enter into relationship with the living God and start walking with him and then to join him in creating a world and taking it somewhere to a future that is beautiful and beyond our imagining And that together, these two callings rooted in creation and renewed in the Great Commission define our work and give us a grand purpose to pour our lives out for. This is our work. This is the grand purpose. And it's meant to draw out that part of you that senses that you were made for something bigger, that you're here on earth for a reason. And it's meant to, to move you into action, to live out your unique vocation. See, John Mark Comer in his great book, Garden City, he says this, he says, we're image bearers, created to rule, to partner with God in pushing and pulling the creation project forward, to work it, to draw out the earth's potential and unleash it for human flourishing, to cooperate with God in building a civilization where people can thrive in his presence. And in this cosmic agenda, each of us has a vocation a calling from God, a way that God has wired us, something to be and something to do. And so not only do you have a royal identity, not only do you have a grand purpose, but you have a part to play in seeing this grand purpose come to life here on earth. So whoever you are, you have a calling. There's something God made you to be. There's something God made you to do. You have a unique vocation in the grand purpose, a part only you can play. Who you are is no accident. God created you for a reason. Where you're at right now is no accident. There's a divine purpose for you being there. And the purpose that God has for you there is that your vocation is your voice. It's how you speak to the world about who God is and what he's like. And so wherever you're planted, wherever God has brought you, that place is your unique vocation, your part to play in the grand purpose and his way of through you speaking to the world about himself, what he's like, who he is, and what he's doing. And so maybe you don't feel like you have a part to play, but you do. You have a part to play in the grand purpose, and we need you to play it. And so whether you are a barista, a mom, a dad, a grandparent, a landscaper, a graphic designer, a teacher, a financial planner, a cabinet maker, an engineer, a college student, a painter, a physicist, whatever it is, it's all work in God's perspective, and all of it matters. And in all of it, you are called to a royal identity, a grand purpose, and a unique vocation. This is our calling to work. But what does that look like in action? I mean, there are 168 hours in the week. What does it look like to actually go and live this out? 
How do we walk in the calling of work with this vision in perspective? Two things. The first, we need to catch the vision. We need to get swept up into this vision for work that God has, this calling that we've been called to when it comes to our work. We need to let God's vision shape our vision and let it get inside of us. We need to catch the vision. And secondly, we need to carry the vision. See, catching isn't enough. We have to carry the vision everywhere we go and in whatever we do. Paul, the apostle, he says it this way, and whatever you do in word and in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now, it's interesting because that word deed can also be translated work. And so here's what Paul is saying is that in the words we speak and the work that we do, whatever that is, do it in such a way that honors God. Do it as an act of worship to the one who made you and who loves you. Why? Because you represent the king of the universe and you are called in your work to make the invisible God visible in the work that God has for you. So carry that vision wherever you go. When you raise kids, run errands, cook, clean. When you go to your day job, carry that vision. Let your life speak about the beauty of God. That's your vocation. Because maybe, just maybe, the work that God has you doing is the primary way he is asking you to seek the flourishing of our city. So go and serve. Give generously. Give beyond what you would normally give. Give sacrificially, but more than that, go and be God's representatives right where you already are at work. Work hard. Be joyful. Do the work no one else wants to do. Be honest and true. Even if you don't get ahead, carry the vision into that place. Can you imagine, church, if this city's workplaces and homes and schools were filled with followers of Jesus who have caught the vision and carry the vision wherever they go, and whatever they do, imagine what our city would look like. Imagine how many people would be drawn to Jesus. Imagine how our city would flourish as people live out the royal identity, the grand purpose, and the unique vocation they have. This is where our vision for work leads us. This is our calling to work. Let's pray. Gracious God, thank you for this amazing vision for work, this deep and beautiful vision that you have for work, whatever it is that we do. And so I ask for every single person listening that Holy Spirit, you would come and you would fill and you would renew our vision for work, that we would catch that vision and then we would be motivated to go out and carry that vision into whatever it is that we are called to do for work. And in that, God, would you get glory and would our city flourish. In Jesus' name, amen.